book of Joshua. Would you look there with me, please? The book of Joshua. We're going to be in chapter 1, at least uh, the majority of it here. And uh, I want to speak to you on the subject of when life takes a turn. When life takes a turn. About nine hours from here, over on the uh, western end of North Carolina, some of you motorcycle enthusiasts would be familiar with a place called Deals Gap. There's an 11-mile stretch of highway with 318 curves in it. Now, unlike that portion of highway known as the Dragon's Tail or the Tail of the Dragon, while that may be thrilling, most of the time when life throws us a turn or a curve, it is not thrilling. It's frustrating. It's fearful. It's troubling. And there are many, many things that can cause a turn in our, in our life. We're, we're going to look at Joshua chapter 1 and talk a little bit about this. So take a look there with me if you would, please. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1, of course. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Now, uh, think with me for a moment. Put yourself in Joshua's sandals for just a little while here. For 40 years, that's a long time, for 40 years, he has gotten up in the morning, he's had his devotions, drank his coffee, got onto his camel act, rode over to Moses' tent, and asked Moses what Moses had for him to do today. Am I right? For 40 years. Now he gets up, has his coffee, his devotion, and there is no Moses. He's the man. He's the man. Everything in his life has changed. Life takes a turn. There are many, many things that can cause a turn in life. We uh, just recognized some graduates a moment ago. They've had a turn. Would you agree? Get out of high school. Some of them expected it. Some of them may not. <laughs> I've learned that it really doesn't matter. Sometimes you can expect a turn and a curve, but it still surprises us and catches us sometimes off guard. Would you agree? There are many, many turns that life presents. There is that educational turn like we talked about. Even the transition from elementary to middle school or from middle school to high school, that's a major turn. So for our young people, that's a big deal. From high school into college, from college into their career. Then there's relationship turns that take place. You're starting to date someone, getting pretty serious, and then all of a sudden the relationship may end and it takes a turn. Maybe you've gotten married and boy, that presents a turn, doesn't it? Amen? There's adjustments that have to take place. I noticed the men were kind of quiet on that. Amen? <laughs> you are wise gentlemen, you are. Then when you have children, that takes a turn. My goodness. Or if you find out for some reason you're unable to have them, what a turn you're presented with. Troublesome, difficult. When you lose a spouse, 
particularly if that person goes at an early age because it seems unnatural, it seems like something you were not expecting, or you lose a child, how unnatural the death of a child is. So life throws us all of these turns. Maybe you've been diagnosed with some form of a disease that the doctors give you little hope and, and life has taken a turn. There are many, many things that present those to us. Maybe you're, you're trying to figure out what to do in your life. Maybe your career is changing and again you have a turn. You're trying to figure out where you're going to move your family to or whether or not you're going to move your family. So many things that we deal with in this life. Joshua is encountering change. Change is not usually fun. Would you agree? Some of us handle it better than others. Let me say it another way. Some of us handle it worse than others. <laughs> change. Perhaps no other place is change so evident and so frustrating as in the field of technology. Would you agree with me? I came across this picture of this young girl. She received a pop-up notice that said, scan your computer for viruses. And she is doing just that. I read an article about a company that received a fax that had a little note attached to it. And the note read, please send back after reading. We would like to keep the original on file. <laughs> a service provider received a phone call where the person asked, Tell me, do emails get delivered on holidays? So there's all kinds of things out there. Technology changes. When I have problems with my phone, I go to the preschool. And they know more about it than I do. I mean, in the world that we live in today, it's a little crazy. But there's all kinds of change that occurs in our life. Let's take a moment and pray, and then we're going to pick apart this chapter and uh, see if we can't handle change a little bit better the turns that are sent our way. Father, we come to you, Lord, and we love you. We ask you now to help us, Lord, as we look at this text. Help us to glean from it the lessons that we need today. Lord, uh, most all of us have difficulty with change. So we pray, God, that you'd help us to see it your way and to understand that you have a purpose in our life. Lord, help us to turn things over to you where we need to turn them over, to be victorious in the life that you've given to us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Now Joshua uh, finds himself again with this change in ministry. Now, without going into great detail about Moses, Moses, of course, had an anger issue. We knew that about Moses when he was pretty young. He was 40 years of age when he killed the Egyptian. And then later, of course, he blew his uh, ministry by striking the rock uh, the second time whenever he was supposed to just simply speak to the rock and bring forth water. So the Bible tells us God removed him from ministry. And then now Joshua is sitting there and God says to Joshua, okay, it's time for you now to arise and lead these people over into the promised land. I fully believe that Joshua had not previously given thought to this leadership role. I think he believed Moses was going to take care of this. And he could stay in the place he was at in life. That he could depend on the fact that somebody else would take all of the blame and the problem. He was the military leader and Moses was the guy that was taking all the complaints. Not one time do I read over in the, in the journey through the wilderness and the people complained against Joshua. But they murmured and complained against Moses. 
So let's do this. We want to make four observations in this chapter. And the first one, if you fill in your notes in your study sheet, very simply is God's design in the change. God's design in the change. Somewhere uh, we have to understand and accept the fact that change has occurred and that change is the only constant in life. Would you agree? That doesn't mean we handle it too much uh, better than we normally would. We, typically we don't change until we have to. We don't like to embrace it. Yet the Bible is very clear. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse number 1. I want to read to you this text. It's a familiar text. And, and many of you no doubt will know it right off. To everything there is a season. A time for every purpose under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to gain and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. If you skip down a little bit, you'll read this verse in verse 11. At the beginning of that verse, it simply reads, He has made everything beautiful in its time. And all that means as we go through seasons of life, seasons, uh, we should expect change. Change should be something that we understand is going to be part of life. When you enter that, that tale of the dragon 11 miles, you need to expect some curves, 318 of them. Uh, and, and man, I'm telling you, you go in one and out of another and all of a sudden you find yourself nothing but curves, change of direction. God said to Joshua, this is an interesting phrase, he said, Moses, my servant is dead, now therefore arise and go over this Jordan. Every time I read that text, I have to think to myself, does it not sound, uh, and, and forgive me, so I just want to be uh, very clear with you and um, uh, transparent with you, it, it sounds a little cold. Am I the only one that feels that way? Moses, my servant is dead, now get up. And go, and I, and, I, and I thought about this. I thought, you know, God is a loving God, is he not? Amen. So it can't be, I must be misunderstanding something. Or, maybe God sees things completely different than I do. And I started thinking about this. And I thought, you know, maybe it's a little bit like this. You're standing out in the foyer and you're waiting on your table. But you were expecting some other people. And you're standing there and you're waiting and you're waiting. And, and then finally the hostess comes over to you and the hostess says, Oh, you're waiting on so-and-so. They're already here. They're seated back over here in the corner. You say, what are you saying? I think that's what God is saying. God's saying, hey, Joshua, by the way, Moses is already here. Now get up, I've got work for you. His work is done, but your work is not. So I think that's why it seems a little bit, a, a little harsh at first, but, but it's like, hey, this is the way it is. This is part of, here, here's the thought that goes through my mind. Nothing ever surprises God. God is not caught off guard by anything that happens. He has either allowed it to happen or he has caused it to happen. Now, some of that is frustrating to us because we know God is able to do anything. And in some of our lives, we feel like since God is able to do anything, why didn't he prevent that? Because in our mind and in our thinking, he should have prevented it. But in his plan, he decided not to. 
Now this is more difficult for us when it involves the negative change that can occur in our life. We don't understand that. When it's negative change and, change, and again we, we feel like we've lost someone too early or, or we're uh, unable to do certain things that we would like to do and bring us great pleasure. We don't understand the mind of God. We think God is harsh or God is somehow cruel when in fact we have to remember and this is of little help but nonetheless it's all I have to offer you and that is that we are in an unredeemed world. That we're in a world that is riddled with disease caused by sin uh, from Adam and Eve from the very garden. And because of that, there are things that happen in this world that are not pleasant. But we look for a city whose builder and maker is God. Amen. We're just pilgrims passing through, the Bible says. So Moses is already seated in the restaurant, Joshua. Now I have things for you to do. So I want you to arise. I find this interesting because he's either laying down or he is sitting down. He's obviously not leading or trying to figure out how to lead. And, and this would be a typical position for depression. Can I talk about depression for a moment? You don't mind, do you? Let me talk about depression for a moment. Some of the statistics I found were, were somewhat shocking. 11% of teenagers face depression, the statistics say. 30% of college students face serious depression. 7% of adults in the United States each year are diagnosed with depression. But this is the, this is the statistic that throws me for a loop. 50% of the people in the United States suffer from depression in some form or another undiagnosed. So if you've ever felt depressed, and most of us have felt that somewhere in our lives, and we have some of the symptoms that go along with it. Well, what are the symptoms? Obviously, uh, you begin to uh, feel fatigued, and, and you have a, a loss of appetite, and, and, and suddenly you become sort of negative in your thinking. All of those things are part of it. You find it difficult to have any initiative and get up and go and do or do anything. Does that not appear a little bit like Joshua? So here's Joshua. This change has occurred in his life. It wasn't what he was expecting. He never really saw it coming. But it's there. Isaiah 43 and verse number nine, 19 reads, Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. So let me ask you a question before I go any further as we're contemplating the design of God and change in your life. Is it okay with you that God may want to do something new? Yes, sir. Yeah. Praise God. Yes. I read something somewhere which said everybody wants change, just nobody wants to change. Would you agree with that? I think that's pretty true. I vote for change. Oh, no, wait a minute. You mean I got to change? Hold on a minute. Much less lead in that change. Now, just hold on just a minute because I like things the way they are. And, and we, we, get, we sort of get used to things the way they are. Would you agree? Secondly, let me talk to you about God's development and his choice. So what of this guy, Joshua? 
Joshua, I want you to do this. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, it says. Let, let me keep reading, if I, if I may, please. Let's skip down to verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you, nor forsake you. Let me pause just a moment. Do you know what we really need to do? And listen carefully. We need to find us in the word find you in the plan of God God has not been caught off guard by this we said this a moment ago he's not surprised so has he been preparing Joshua yes but Joshua doesn't feel prepared I believe that I don't think Joshua feels like he can handle this sometimes in our lives when God gives us something let me use that word again new we say things like I don't think I can handle this. I don't, I don't think I'm ready for this. So let me ask you this. If Joshua had that spirit about him, I don't think I'm ready for this. Was that also God's opinion? We know it was not. We know God said, no, you are ready for this. You don't think you're ready, but I'm telling you you're ready. Matter of fact, God's not going to hand you anything you're not ready for. So the very fact that you have encountered that curve, that turn, the very fact that you are where you are is because God said, you are able to do this. With me, you can do this. So God has been developing Joshua for 40 years. He's been developing him. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 6 talks about God's development of us. He said, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What Peter was talking about was, and in another text it uses the word season, though now for a season. We said earlier that life is made up of seasons seasons. There, there are seasons to this thing that we live in. And, and one season rolls out as another rolls in. Yeah. And as a part of those seasons, the Bible says you will encounter trials of your faith. What are trials of your faith? Trials of your faith are different than just normal trials. Normal trials you might have the answer for. You, you encounter certain things that you have the answer for. You can solve it. It might cost you a little something, maybe time, maybe money, maybe energy. It might cost you something, but you have the answer for it. That is a trial. When it is a trial of your faith, you can find no answer. Money won't take care of it. Time will not do it. You don't don't have the ability to solve the problem and you have to rely on God that's a trial of your faith but God uses those to develop us to develop us into people who through our dependency on him bring him honor and glory in all that we do Amen. it is not a bad thing to approach life and say God I'm not able to handle this but add to that please on my own I'm not able to handle this on my own over and over again, God has said to Joshua, I am going to be with you. I am going to take care of you. I'm going to see to it that you're okay. And then in, in Isaiah 43, beginning in verse 1, we have these beautiful words. I love this. Again, we're talking about finding the you or finding us in the scripture. Listen to this passage. Isaiah 43, verse 1. But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You 
are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. Nor shall the flames scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. So let me pause for a moment and ask this question because everything that I've been talking about so far has to do with something that I haven't mentioned yet and that is your personal relationship with Jesus Christ because that's where the victory begins. Have you entered into a relationship with him? Have you ever been born again? Has there ever been a time in your life when you've called on him to be your savior? Because the promise of I will be with you forever is reserved for those who are in a relationship with him. And so I encourage you to consider whether you've ever made that decision and to make it today if you haven't already. Beginning in verse number six in Joshua one, the Bible reads, be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you, do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. Interesting. This leads us into the third point that I want to give you. The, very, the third observation, God's desire in the charge. So God gives Joshua a charge. He says, man, here's what you're going to do. Now this is what I want you to do. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to lead these people. You're going to divide this land. You're going to go over. It's going to be awesome. And, and I'm going to be with you. I'm going to make sure everything's okay. But be strong and be courageous. Now, uh, don't depart from the word. And then in verse 8, look at verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. But you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. This book of the law, most, uh, most teachers believe that, that what God was referring to by this book of the law was the book of Deuteronomy. Now the book of Deuteronomy... Many believe actually was closed out by Joshua. Moses wrote the book, but at the very end it contains the death of Moses. And some believe that Joshua actually finished up dealing with the death of Moses. Others believe that Moses may have written, written it himself, since as a prophet God would have dictated to him, such as he did concerning the events of the Garden of Eden, which were uh, previous prophecies. But he may have told him what to write beforehand. But nonetheless, it seems practical to assume that Joshua would have finished up the book. It is, a, it is a book that means, the name Deuteronomy means second law. And it's a concise account. It's really quite an interesting book. It gives sort of an abbreviated account of the journeys of the people of God through the wilderness and what God had to say to them. So here's what we're learning. God said, you want to be prosperous? You want to, you want to find good success in the life that you're living? You want to be able to do the things that, that you need to do? And, and although life has handed you this turn, this curve, you want to be able to handle that the right way? Then here's what you do. Meditate in my word. Stay in my word. Yep. Now this is something that as I preach on it, many people would say, yeah, I agree with that. And they'll go right out and try to find a video series or a book somewhere written on a certain subject that they want information on. 
Now, I'm not anti-video or anti-books or anti-whatever. I think it's a wonderful thing if they point you back to the Word of God. But I'm telling you, the principles to live our life by are in the Word of God. You cannot improve on that. You cannot improve on that. Now, maybe there are some gifted writers who have observed those principles and have put them into a concise way and gathered them together on parenting or on being a spouse or on dealing with problems that you face in your life with the loss of a loved one. Maybe there are gifted authors that have done that, but I'm telling you, you can't get away from the, from the prosperity that comes from just knowing the Word of God. God said to Joshua, don't let it depart from you. There were two things he had charged him to do. Have courage to lead and have a commitment to read. Be strong, be courageous. You know, it, is, it, it takes some courage to lead, particularly in a world like we live in. Would you agree? You want to take a stand for Christ. It's a funny thing. I was standing in line the other day in a store and a couple guys in front of me started talking politics. And I was so worried one of them was going to turn around and ask me what I thought. But I'm going to tell you what I think. Well, anyway, I, I probably shouldn't sometimes, but you, you said, what are you getting? I'm saying we live in a world that, that seems to be so confused about so many things. And I'm not talking about my personal opinion, but I am talking about confusion over things the Word of God actually teaches and clarifies for us. And the point simply is that it takes courage to live according to the Word of God. You're going to raise your children according to the word of God. You're going to instill in them the principles of the word. The rest of the world may not like that. They may think you're crazy. They, they're going to do their best to sway your children in another direction. You take a certain stand at work, somebody's going to get on to you for taking that stand. You've got to have courage to live that life. Would, I, would you agree? Commitment to read. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. He uses the word meditate. Now meditate is not a word that we use much in our circle anymore. What exactly does that mean? The Bible uses it in other places. The psalmist said in Psalm 1 and verse number 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree... Planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Young people, when you think about what steps should you take to be prosperous in life, consider what the psalmist has said. You don't run to be with those who are, who are trying to do the wrong thing. You don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly nor stand in the path of sinners. What that phrase means is there, there are people in this world who are just sitting around waiting on somebody to come by so they can lead them into the wrong things. And the Bible says that what we use as our compass, what we use as our guide is the Word of God. So meditate in the Word of God. The word literally in the Hebrew is the word haga, and it means to mutter, to murmur, to muse. I find that in the world that we live in, we are in such a hurry. Would you agree with that? We say as we look at our clocks to find out if pastor is going to be very long. We are in such a hurry sometimes, and, and meditation takes time. I'm not talking about sitting where you, you fold your legs a certain way. I would do it for you, but I can't. I have bad knees from basketball and soccer. I'm not talking about, um, I'm not talking about all that stuff. 
What I'm talking about is, when's the last time you sat down with the Word of God? And don't answer it out loud. I know some of you have very effective devotional times. But when's the last time you sat down with the Word of God and you read over it? And then you started speaking it out loud. And you thought about what it was saying to you. And you spent time with God and said, God, what does this mean? And you ask Him the questions that you have concerning it. What are you trying to say? Lord, what is, what is in this for me? Where am I at in your plan and in your word? to meditate on, to dwell on, to think on. The Bible tells us this is the way that you're going to find you make your way successful. This is the way that you will prosper and it is by spending time in the word. The psalmist said in Psalm 119 and verse number 15, I'll read several verses from the text rather than uh, try to give you the, we, we could read the whole chapter. By this we find out how many people know what Psalm 119 is. <laughs> Verse 15, I will meditate on your precepts. All these words that we're going to look at, by the way, precepts, commandments, statutes, they all refer to the Word of God. The psalmist was talking about them. Each of them a little different portion of the Word, whether it be a principle or, or uh, uh, something else concerning a, a directive. But, but nonetheless, verse 15, I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. Verse 48, my hands also I will lift up to your commandments, which I love. I will meditate on your statutes. My eyes, verse 148 says, are awake through the night watches that I may meditate, meditate on your word. Psalm 143, verse 5, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your works. I muse on the work of your hands. I love this because here's kind of the progression. If I spend time in this book with my Lord, now, now follow me. If I spend time in this book with my Lord and I'm musing what he has to say, I'm going over, I'm looking at, I'm, I'm thinking about where I fit into all of this stuff, whether I get up real early in the morning to do that or whether in the middle of the day during my lunch hour, whatever you have set aside to do, you're sitting there and you're doing that. Then all of a sudden I start to notice something and the psalmist talked about it. I notice the works of God. I notice his hand. I notice what he has done. And then I begin to think about what he's done and the greatness and goodness of God and, and what that does for us in our life, what that does for us in this world is incredible. And so many of us are so busy. Even if we read our scripture, it's to check off our daily reading. Or maybe we've even relocated to some devotional that doesn't even use the scripture but gives you some kind of positive thought for the day. Meditate in the word. Learn the word. I find this remarkable that if I said to you, if you'll leave this building today and walk one mile down the road and back, you will have a very successful week most everybody in here, if you believed it, would try it. You'd want a successful week. But if I say to you, stay in the book. Get in the book. Meditate on his word. Every single day. And your way will be prosperous and successful. Only a portion of us believe it. Why is that the case? Is it not pretty plain? 
Did God not say it to Joshua? This is my desire in this whole charge that I give to you, Joshua. This is my desire that you be courageous in your leading and committed in your reading. And that leads us, if you will, to the last point I want to share with you. Which is God's dependence and the challenge. God's dependency in the challenge. What do you depend on? What do you do? Look at verse 10 with me in our text. Verse 10. Joshua 1. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people saying, Pass through the camp and command the people saying, Prepare. Prepare provisions for yourselves and within three days you will cross over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Notice the word prepare. And then if you would skip over with me for just a moment to chapter 3. And let's do a little bit of reading, beginning in verse 1. Then Joshua rose early in the morning and set out from Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it. About 2,000 cubits by measure, do not come near it. Notice this, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. Now this is kind of an interesting story. It has some similarities to the crossing of the Red Sea, but it has some differences. In the crossing of the Red Sea, Moses lifted up his, his staff and the people marched over on dry land. Not near one of them got their toes wet. But in the crossing of the Jordan, the priests had to put their feet in the water. And they had to go first with the ark. You say, what are you getting at, preacher? I'm saying this. The ark of the covenant was not God, but it represented the presence of God. And what Joshua was saying, if you'll allow this application, was if you'll keep your eyes on God, he'll direct you even though you are in uncharted territory. You have never gone this way before. So keep your eyes on the presence of God and he'll lead you. He'll direct you. When I think about this passage of scripture, I, I find it interesting. The, the Bible doesn't tell us about the eyes of the priests whenever uh, Joshua gave the command. Now you've got to first step in the water. Amen? Well, what, what happened to the dry part? Not only do we step in, we got to carry something rather heavy when we step in. Now that's not exactly uh, a good combination, am I right? It takes a little bit of faith to do that sort of thing, am I right? You say, what are you getting at? Some of us need to go ahead and step into the water. We need to keep our eyes on the Lord and follow Him. We've never been that way before. This morning, uh, I was uh, in a coffee shop which shall, rename, uh, which shall remain nameless. I don't, I don't like their political agenda, but I do like their coffee. I'm a sinner. Pray for me. <laughs> and on the table, there was a little booklet. Some of you may have got this. I guess it came in the paper or something, but 
preparation guide, it said. Our mayor had an article written in it. I was thumbing through it as I was waiting on my white chocolate mocha, no fat, no whip, no foam. <laughs> and uh, I forgot to mention grande. But anyway, um, I, was looking at the little, I was looking at the little preparation guide. Natural disasters can come unexpected, it said. And there were a number of things that the booklet dealt with. And here's some things you need to know. Here's some things you need to prepare for in case. Let me put it in terms of our message today. In case life takes an unexpected turn, you need to be prepared. Joshua said, prepare. There's some things you need to have in place. There's a relationship you need with God. There's, there's what you need. Listen, don't wait until the crisis occurs and then try to find God. He'll be there, but it's better to know all about him before that happens. Amen. Develop the principles in your life so that you understand when it happens. It did not surprise him. And he's going to be with you and see you through it. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let me read this text to you, please. And then I'll close with just a couple of quick thoughts. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Amen. Therefore, we do not lose heart, Paul said. So just to recap, let me leave you with this. Three things we need to do. First of all, remember nothing ever surprises God. Can I get an amen? Amen. Secondly, rest in the fact that he is with you even through the flood and through the fire. Thirdly, recharge daily. Renew the inner man daily. Why? Because you need courage and you need strength. God never said that he was just going to give it to you. He's going to give it to you when you seek it and when you go after it. So I'm asking you, go after the courage and go after the strength. You're going to need it because you've never been that way before. Life's taking a turn. But it's okay. God saw it coming. Let's pray together.